Well, good morning, Ben Tree. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for coming to church today. Uh, glad that you're here. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, New Testament book. We'll get there in just a few minutes. So uh, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to that, you'd be great. Just a reminder, reminder this series is about uh, a topic that, uh, that is not suitable for young children. Uh, so if your kids are like below middle school uh, age, I would go ahead and take them over. They'd be great over there. They're ready for them. Uh, but if they're in middle school on up, going into middle school, I, I think that would be great uh, if you got them over there. So uh, we've got a lot going on. So uh, we're, I mean, a lot to cover today. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in. If, by the way, if you missed last week, uh, I, I go ahead and listen to that thing. Make sure that you get there and, uh, and listen to it online. Let's see if we can get this thing up for us. Uh, and there we go. Look, I'm Paul. All right, let's go ahead. So let me ask you a question. When we talk about church, when we say church, what are we talking about? Who is that for? I mean, you could say, well, it's for God, and that would be right, because we sing, we uh, give, we uh, worship, all of that stuff. We open our Bibles for God. We want to glorify Him, worship Him. Amen? So church, we could say, is for God. But the second thing we could ask that question is you go, is church for unbelievers? In other words, people that are not Christians. And you could say, yes, yes. Uh, even though they're not Christians, like if you're not a believer, like we are so thankful you're here. Uh, because it's not easy to come to a place because the message of Christ, quite, quite frankly, is a little bit like uh, offensive. Because it says, you are going to hell without Christ. Christ says, I love you enough that I will die in your place. I will pay for your debt. But like, we're glad you're here. So uh, we're glad that you're here. But we want you to understand that, that this message that will always give grace and truth. Third group, you go, who's church for? You could say, well, it's for Christians. So that we grow in our faith that we grow in our understanding of the Word of God and, and that it leads to how we actually live our life. Uh, I, I think it's important. That's primarily who church is for, Christians worshiping God. And when you discover who you really are intended to be by a God that loves you, then you can start living the way He's called you to live. Uh, you, wanna, you, you do what you believe. That's what we know to be true. In other words, you can say one thing, but you will always do, you'll take action on what you believe. Let me see if I can come at this from a different perspective. The Bible claims to be real truth. It doesn't claim to be about truth. It doesn't claim to, to have some truth. It says, this is the truth. And if you believe it and live by it, it will lead you to a place, eternity with God in heaven. We believe that as Christians, amen? amen. And this is important to understand because uh, if you go with me just for a moment, if there is truth on one hand, there is also untruth, a lie. What is a lie? A lie is a deliberate uh, attempt to lead somebody in a different direction, to take them to a different place than they were wanting to go. In other words, you take a promise that you go here, if you do this, you'll do this, that's the truth. But a lie says, oh, I know how to get to the same place, but just a different way. But it's a malicious untruth designed to take you really to a different place. Does that make sense? Let me think if I can say it differently. A lie does not have power on its own, but it will have power just like the truth has power if you trust it and believe it, but it won't take you to the same destination. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Let's say you want to go to Hawaii. Who wants to go to Hawaii? That sounds like a good plan. I, I like the idea of going to Hawaii. I've seen pictures. It sounds amazing. Let's go to Hawaii. So we contact, we contact a travel agent, and the travel agent says, I can hook you up. Now, tickets to Hawaii, I've got to warn you, are expensive, he says to us. 
So he says, here's the price. You look at that and you go, whew, that is a lot of money. He said, yeah, on top of that, there's tons of restrictions. Once you buy, you can't change the ticket. You can't, you know what I mean? And you say, yeah, yeah, okay. He says, I've got a deal though. I've got a deal and it's a lot less money. Still goes to Hawaii and the best part is no restrictions and, and, and it's a steal, it's so cheap. So you think, okay, I, that sounds good. So the day comes for you to head to Hawaii. Got all your bags packed, you got your shirt on, right? Your Hawaiian shirt, and, and you get on and, and you take off and you're over land for a while, but then you get out over the ocean. You see the ocean, you go, whew, Hawaii, you know it's gonna be a long flight. So what do you do? You go to sleep. You land in Hawaii as you're looking out the window, it doesn't look exactly like the pictures. And as you get off, it looks nothing like the pictures. And you go, is this Hawaii? And, and, and the guy says, yes, this is Hawaii. And you go, Hawaii. And they say, yes, Hawaii, Guatemala. And you may not have realized that there is a Hawaii, Guatemala. And they're not lying, it's a real Hawaii. But it's not the one you wanted to go to. Does that make sense to you? And a lie is what our enemy, Satan, uses to trick us, to take us to the wrong place. It promises the same thing, but takes us to a different place. God has all this power to create, to forgive sins, to give life. Satan has none of that power. The only power... Satan has is the lie. And the only way a lie has power over you is if you trust it. You with me? You with me? Now, why, what about this? Why talk about this subject, sexual stuff? Because Satan, he does this with all truth. He offers a shortcut that sounds just like the truth. But for you non-Christians, you need to understand all sin separates us from a holy God. In fact, that's the way we come to earth. We are sinful, right? We are, we are born into this jacked up sinful world. We are separated from a holy God. All sin separates us from God. There's not a, a bigger sin that separates us from a God and little sins pile up and separate us from God. No, all sin separates us from God. But for Christians, I want you to understand this. If you're not a Christian, for a Christian, we have trusted Jesus as our Savior. We say it this way, we have believed on Him. What that means is we believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. And that is the Son of God. We say we believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's all you have to do to be saved and that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that God raised him the, from the dead. We are adopted by faith into God's family. Literally made God's children. That's a big amen right there, right? So let's hear it. Amen. So for Christians, what harm is it to go ahead and sin? Because our sin is forgiven. Past, all the sin. Present, all the sin. Even future sin is forgiven in Christ Jesus. So then you say, well, if that's the case, I've got an idea. Why don't I just sin and then God can pay for it? I'll have some fun. So for Christians, what's the harm in going ahead and, and, and sinning a time? We're forgiven, right? Three big reasons here I want you to see. First reason is this, unrepentant sin. For a Christian is this kind of sin that says this, that says, God, I don't want to grow. It damages our own self in that it says we don't want to grow. We say stay stuck in the way we live our life. The second way that it damages our sin, real similar to the first way, unrepentant sin, it plugs our spiritual ears and we don't hear from God. It's not that God's not speaking. In fact, the Holy Spirit's going, that's sin, you shouldn't be doing that. But we're like going, ah, la, 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 right? It's like we have spiritual antennae where we 
listen to God, but when we start to sin unconditional, I mean, where, where we say unrepentant sin, it's like taking those antenna off. We just are not receiving anymore. The third way unrepentant sin damages us is each other. Our relationships, family, friends. You get what I'm saying? Deep, deep damage that it does. I want you to understand uh, that why talk about sex when every sin does this damage because sin the sexual sin that's unrepentant does far more damage all of them separate us from a holy god but sexual sin does more damage in these relationships and it does it quicker that's what today's all about now just like the travel agent that says, hey, you can get to Hawaii this way or this way. There's only one way to get to the Hawaii that we're talking about. And Satan is going to promise you something completely different. And as we talk about sex, sex is a gift from God. A beautiful thing meant to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in the Christian marriage relationship. And outside of that, it does tremendous damage. It's almost like so many people that are having sex outside of marriage that are Christians that are going, wait, it was promised to be this, but it's this. Yeah, because you got on the wrong plane. You see what I'm saying? There's some good stuff here. Let's pray and get started. Would you bow your head with me? God, our Father in heaven, uh, your name is great and greatly to be praised. Father, we ask that you just teach us through your words. Make yourself known to us and how we live. Uh, how do we do life? God, my prayer is that uh, only your truth uh, would be made known. And God, if there is anything that is wrong or incomplete, that you would just uh, keep that from being said or heard. Uh, Father, I pray that as we seek your truth, that you would show us how to respond to that truth. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Paul, the apostle, is addressing the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth is similar to our church. There's not very many Jewish people by blood there. They're almost all Gentile, meaning non-Jewish, and they're a church. So he's writing them from afar. He's, he was the guy that planted the church, and he's heard about the stuff that's going on. So they're going to read this letter to the church. Let's pick it up with chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's instructing them how to live life. The church is, is listening, and, and he says this. He says, Pastor Paul. No, that's not it. Here it is. All right, let's go the other way. Here it is. Okay, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Talking about the Christians. Hang on, right there. What's he talking about? Don't miss this. The point that I want you to see is Paul is saying there is a right and a wrong. Liberal Christians will tell you, no, there's no such thing. It's just, it's just based on uh, just society's norms. Paul's going, no, it's based on Scripture. And he says, why are you uh, doing this, this sexual immorality here? All right, pick it up. The end of uh, verse 1 there, second half of verse 1. Here it is. Okay, and the kind of sexual immorality that is even not, even toler, not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and removed from your congregation, the one who did this? Oh man, this is sick. The church in Corinth was celebrating the fact that, that this young man was having this sexual conquest of this woman, his stepmother. And, and Paul's saying, look, the Gentiles even say, man, that's sick. Who would do that? But you Christians, you're saying that that's okay? And they were doing that because they were saying well, the flesh is bad and it wants bad things and we're saved, so you might as well have it all. Just forgiveness. 
But Paul says, no. Now, why remove him from the church? Why remove this young man? Aren't we supposed to, like, forgive? Aren't we supposed to have truth and grace and, and not judge people? Yes, but remember, truth and grace go together. Or grace and truth go together. So you can't have truth without, and you can't have grace without. Both of those go together. If you do those separately, you won't ever get to where you want to be. Now look at verse 3. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, even though I am absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And one who is present with you in this way. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. Now, Paul is operating as a pastor. He's a shepherding elder, our terminology, right? Think of a shepherd that protects sheep. He's got the staff, right? He's watching out for wolves. There's a wolf among them, this young man. He's saying, I am telling you, you've got to take action and you've got to take it fast. He's worried about the group, the church. And he says this in verse 4. He says, When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand the one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now this sounds harsh, doesn't it? Kick the guy out of the church, the Christian fellowship, now keep in mind, we have truth and, say it again, truth and, grace, grace and, grace. so we have those two. They have to go together. Look what Jesus said when he was asked about marriage and specifically when people could get a divorce. This is what he says right here. Jesus says, haven't you read? He replied that he who created them in the beginning, made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I always feel like I should now say, you may kiss the bride. Because I read this when people get married, right? Now, Jesus goes on to say that divorce is granted if there is sexual infidelity, but for no other reason. But listen, if you're divorced and you didn't get divorced for that, there's grace and truth. We offer grace. There's forgiveness for this. But he says, really, it's just for this. He said, we, I didn't really even want to grant it for even infidelity. But he says, your hearts were hard. He says, you didn't forgive, so we granted divorce here. Now, the truth is that sex, according to Jesus, is reserved only for one man and one woman in a committed uh, uh, Christian marriage. Now, the liberal church will say, no, it's whatever you want, uh, and we're going to cover this more in the series as we go on. But now, come back to this idea uh, for genders for just a moment. We're going to dive deep into this in future weeks, but I want you to see this. What genders did he make? He made male and Female. Now, I'm not going to make some kind of pun and slam people that are transgender. This is what I want you to understand. As a male, we reflect the glory of God. But males cannot reflect the full glory of God that mankind is designed to give. We must have females as well. And females, you cannot reflect the full glory of God you without the male. Together, two sexes, you reflect the glory of God. We'll come back to that. Back to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's talking to the Corinthians. Paul is saying, he's saying, the sin this dude having sex with his stepmother is seriously danger, not, dangerous, not just for him, but for the group. He says, take action on this. Let's read it again. Look at verse 4. Here it is. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, hand the one over to Satan 
for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, look, when you're together in this setting, together on a Sunday morning, he says, you've got to be careful and act. Paul is treating this thing like cancer. He's saying, unless you move quickly, it's going to kill the entire thing. He doesn't treat other sins this way. Why? Because this is a special class of sins. I want you to understand, all sin separates us from God. Jesus saves us even from sexual sins. He forgives us, but why talk about this sin? This is so critically important. Paul is saying the church body, especially the pastors, especially the shepherding elders, you must talk about this, and it is your duty to take action against a guy like this who will not say no to sin. He's going, I don't care what Jesus says. I'm going to do this woman, and I'm going to do her all that I want to. You can't tell me. And Jesus, uh, or Paul saying, look, you have to take action right now as a pastor on this. Make sense? Now think of it this way. Is the dude a true believer? I think so. Based on this scripture. His banishment out of the church is not sending him to hell. What it's talking about is they're going out of the church itself. We're going to send him out. We're not going to associate with him in hopes that Satan will knock him around because there's no one else to help him when he's in the battle. There's no one else. So that he would repent. Now what if he doesn't repent? Does he still go to heaven if he's a Christian? Yes, he does. But if he never repents all the way up to his death, he's never going to become all that God had for him to become in this life. Paul expresses this hope of this dude's ultimate restoration back to the church, back into love, that, this in, uh, that his spirit would be saved. Now what's the truth here? The guy is breaking the commands of Jesus. The truth is to point out to, the, to this guy and if he doesn't repent of the sin, then to take action. So what's the truth and grace here? The grace is to not let him stay in the church. And you'd say, no, Paul, that's the truth. I go, it's not. Grace means we love him enough to take the hard path and kick him out. Now still, what's the grace? How is that grace? How is that love for this guy? Back, if we kick him out, we're hoping that he turns his heart back to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Man, and Jesus can use that story. Now, is this for all sins in the church? No, but sexual sin and a few others you're going to see are, uh, are different. And not that they're different, that each one uh, doesn't separate us from Christ, like some of them separate us more. No, more do damage to the church and more do damage to the individual. And he says, you've got to act fast on this. Look at verse, uh, uh, let's skip ahead to chapter 6 for just a second. Verse 18, he says this, Flee sexual immorality, every other sin is a, uh, a sin a person commits is outside the body. Any fans of uh, Monty Python, Holy Grail? Oh, there's grace in the Lord. So, uh, no, it's one of my favorites. I love that. You remember, run away, run away. This is what this is talking about. Run away from sexual immorality. Run from it. It's dangerous. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. What's it talking about? You're not your own. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. What's he talking about? Jesus' death on the cross. That paid for you. You belong to Jesus right now. 
Well, we'll come back to this passage again in this series because there's lots of good stuff we can dive deep in. But what I need you to see here is this sexual sin is dangerous to both the individual but also the body, and that's what it's talking about. Is there grace and forgiveness in sexual sin? Yes. Even if they're unrepentant. Yes. But you're on dangerous ground. There's great damage, great pain that Paul's trying to get the guy to avoid, get the church to avoid by taking action. Now back to chapter 5. Flip back to chapter 5 for just a moment. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, saying, kick the guy out, right? What is the danger to the church? Here it is. He says, your boasting is not good. Because they're like going, woohoo, look who had her. Which is sick. Let's just agree on it. But they're boasting. He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Well, when you make bread, what you do is you take all of the ingredients, right? You take the flour, uh, you take some butter, mm, butter and bread, that's good, right? You take all the, the stuff that you put, maybe some salt, you put it all together, some water, you start to knead it through. In other words, kneading is like doing this to the dough. You're mixing it up. Now, if you put it in the oven, is it going to rise? No. You've got to add a special ingredient. Now, I like flatbread. As long as it's got butter, I'm good. You know, it's good. But if you want to have those rolls, you know what rolls I'm talking about? The rolls that get real fat. The big ones. Got big, uh, you know, just over, like overnight they come out and you put those in. They're great. If you want to make that kind of bread, what do you do? Well, you take this little bit of the thing called yeast or leaven. It's active cells. It's a living organism. And you put just a tiny bit into that dough and you work it through. And what it does is it produces little gas bubbles that puff it up. Do you see what's happening here? This is his analogy of sin in the church. Paul's saying, you're boasting, you're puffed up about saying this guy's sin, this sexual sin is good. He's saying, don't you know that little sin worked through? This is the sign you being puffed up. I want you to understand, sex matters at its heart because it embodies what makes us human. And we're going to explore this topic in coming weeks. But why this is so critically important that we understand is that it's different than all the other animals out there. You go, well, all the animals have sex. Not like we do. Sex for us is deeply spiritual. There's a connecting. When it says the two shall become one, yes, it's talking uh, about the, the spiritual side and it's talking about the physical side of sex. Those two things going together put us together. God's saying that stuff's important. It makes you like God. This is how we reflect God's glory. That's why when a child is molested, there's so much damage because it's not just physical, it's spiritual damage. It's why when a spouse cheats on another spouse, that marriage has a hard time surviving because spiritual damage has been done. Do you see why Paul's acting this way? He says it's big. For a Christian who continues to engage in sexual sin even when they are confronted with it by truth and they say, I will not repent. I will not follow the teachings of Jesus, but I know that God still loves me anyway. I would say, I don't think you do know that. Because 1 John 4, 8 says this. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because what you're saying is you're saying, look, I know love and God is love and he'll forgive me no matter what I do. Yes, he'll forgive me, uh, give you. But here's the problem with that. You don't know love. And for you to say you love him, but actually not actually do what he says, I, I like beg to differ. Love is always, always telling the truth, always doing it in the grace of God with others, with the offer of forgiveness and the, the desire to get them to return to fellowship, right? 
Why does Paul seem so harsh here? Why does Paul seem so harsh? Because sexual sin will mess up your relationship with God and with people. And let's just review for a second. What are the two big commands? To love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Unrepentant sexual sin outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, damages both. Do you see why it's so big? Write this down. Write this down. Whoop. Sex matters to God because our bodies matter to God, because we matter to God. Sex matters to God because our bodies matter to God, because we matter to God. We're going to explore this a ton, but sex is not really the problem here. And you go, oh, yes, it is. No, it's a beautiful, good gift. And let's just get a little embarrassing. Sex is not the problem because God in Genesis more than once goes, I want you to have lots of sex, have it often, and I want you to make lots of babies and have it to just enjoy each other. Man, you read Song of Solomon, it'll make you blush. It's good stuff. It's a good gift. But the enemy has copied it and says, it's just cheaper this way. Get on this plane. But I promise you, it ain't taking you to Hawaii. Understand that all good gifts that God gives, the, the enemy has made a copy of those good gifts, a, a version of it meant to take you to a different place. It looks like the real thing on the surface, but the results completely different. Big question, big question. If the members of the church family are supposed to get rid of um, Christians in their midst that will not repent of sexual sin, what are we to do with all the sexual sin outside of our door in the world? Because a lot, a lot of Christians do this. They, they, they kind of like sit down and, and curl up in kind of like the fetal position, you know, kind of suck their thumb. They're going, oh man, the sexual world. Have you heard of homosexuality? Have you heard of this? Have you, you go, man, I, I don't know what to do. Pornography. Ah! God goes, relax. He says, that's not your gig. Your deal as Christians is inside the church. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, we got that. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy or, and swindlers or idolaters Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. I think that's pretty funny. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone, check it out, check it out, who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. In other words, we hold Christians at a higher level. Why? Because we love them and we love the church. We are accountable to each other and how we live. But if you're a non-Christian, our job is not to judge you. God does. That's Jesus' job. Look at, at verse 12. For what business is it of mind to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? Talking about inside the church. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. I don't know how it could be clearer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. Listen close. Love the people outside the church. No matter their sin. You go, Paul, what if they're gay? Love them. But don't go out to eat with them. I didn't say that. Go to barbecues with them. Love them just like you would any neighbor. Be a friend to them. Serve them. Help them move. I wouldn't like endorse their sin like go to a gay wedding. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying love them just like anyone. How can you think that they would obey God's rules when they don't know God? We love them. 
We serve them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we hold each other accountable, though, because we are a unit, a body. And when the non-saved world sees that, how we take care of each other and how we love them, they will come. You remember I said the church is for non-believers, too? Membership's not. Like, we're ready for you to come, but you don't have to, like, get yourself right to get to get to know Jesus. By the way, there are some Christians that don't believe that the New Testament teaches membership. Uh, I got to go this, it's verses like this, like, like blow that theory out of the water because how do you kick somebody else out of a church when there is no such thing to kick them out of? How do you invite people into something, into a community if there's nothing to invite them into? You see how that works? It's just bogus. Again, does that mean that non-Christians should not come to church? No, like we want you here. We want you here. We want you to become a Christian. That's like our aim. But it doesn't really matter what we want. It's really what God wants. We want you to understand, though, we love you. And that Jesus is inviting you into this relationship. But we want you to count the cost before you just jump in. Because there is the stuff we have to live on this. There are millions of Christians that are not part of a local church and they don't want to hear any of this, right? What are we to do with Christians like that? One is that if these people are not part of a local church and not following God, but they claim to be Christians and they're living in clear biblical unrepentant sin, here's my thought. There's not much chance of being, them being a Christian. And they're not members of this place. Be friends with them. Love them. Serve them. Just like they're non-Christians. Because they probably are non-Christians. They may be what we think of as cultural Christians. They go, well, I'm not Muslim. I must be a Christian. No, bro, you're not. But I love you anyway. And that will lead them. But the second is, maybe they are saved, but they just need some truth and grace. If the person that says they are really a true believer in Christ Jesus, I think the statement uh, that we said a while ago is backwards. You know that they say, uh, well, if I sin, and this is a real believer, if I sin, that doesn't mean that Jesus loves me less. And I go, no. And, and they'll try to quote scripture, which I think is funny when someone tries to quote scripture to try to, to prove that you can sin. It is they say, Jesus' love for me, his forgiveness is not lessened by how much I sinned. And I would say, amen, praise God for that. And they say, well, why do I have to stop sinning on this? This is for a Christian. And I would say, because you're asking the question wrong. It's not that Jesus loves you less. Look what Jesus himself, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Sorry to call your bluff. And if they really do love Jesus, they'll turn. And let me just be real honest about Scripture. Um, the commands of Scripture are clear. You know, it's not like we're, we're guessing what, what God's trying to say on this. Uh, it, it's, it's sometimes like liberal Christianity. It's like they try to take the, uh, the Bible and fold this page over here. And it's like biblical origami. You know what I mean? It's like I, I rip this page out and I kind of fold this page here and do this. And if I don't read that section but read this section, then, then I can kind of get the Bible to say whatever I want. That's why we preach all of it here at Bentry. I often think it's interesting when liberal Christians make, especially liberal pastors, and I go, you're not a pastor if you're doing this. But they'll say something like this. They'll say, you know, societal norms have changed and the apostles and the prophets they just didn't understand what today would be like they didn't understand what right and wrong would be jesus didn't understand and we're going hey hang, hang on right there so you're saying uh, a god who is all-powerful uh, all-knowing 
is at every moment in time right now. In other words, He exists out of time. He is immutable, which means He never changes. This all-powerful God cannot figure out what today, what He should have thought, but you got it figured out for Him. I could go, oh, bro. And that's some dangerous ground to be on right there. Redefining God, here's what you should be doing. Run away from a guy like that. Let me close with this. Jesus told this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I love this scripture. I love this scripture. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Religious people will tell you the super conservative side that says you got to be all you can be to be saved. you got to keep all the laws. And maybe you're thinking I'm saying that. I'm not. Back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would have all these laws from the Old Testament and they would create a whole bunch of more laws, you know, 613 laws, but really over 4,000 tiny laws. And it's like they were just putting these heavy loads on people's back that were trying to follow God. It's like these guys are going, okay, I'm trying to follow God and I can just barely walk here doing this, this life. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't need that. I'll pay your debt for you. He says, take my burden on, which is light and easy. But we can do this. We can take advantage of the grace of Jesus. That he offers through his death on the cross. We simply come to him as we are. Listen, oh, listen to this. With all of our sinful desires, I would guess in this room right now, there's some pretty sick sinful desires. Me too. But as we follow Jesus and we keep his commands, he promises through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to change our hearts, meaning change our feelings, how we, we feel about things. And then He begins to give us a new mind where He changes the way we think. But you don't come to Jesus that way. You come all screwed up, just forgiven. As we begin to follow Jesus at the start, it's pretty haltingly at the start, right? Make sense? But as the Holy Spirit of God starts to reveal His Word, you hear through preaching, your Bible study, just independent study, you reading the Word with a small group, God uses the Holy Spirit through His Word to start to convict you of sin. Suddenly, the sin has less of a hold on you. The world is turned upside down. They're wondering why sex doesn't mean what it was all cracked up to me and I go because you've never had the kind of sex that God has promised between a man and a woman who are married here's my question to leave you with have you believed a lie about your sexual desire and sin and promised that it would take you to a new place and a new joy and a new happiness. And you've gotten there and you go, this isn't Hawaii. This isn't what it was promised. This is the total wrong place of this. Have you believed that lie? Listen to me. God wants to A, forgive you, and B, take you to the new place. Maybe God is showing you that the the sexual lies of the enemy that have sold in you, that sold you, has taken you to this place of brokenness and shame. God goes, hey, I want to forgive you. There is no shame in me. So many of you may be thinking your future is ruined because of your past. I want you to know that Jesus will redeem your past. He will make sense out of the craziness of your past. But until you give your heart fully to Jesus and start following Him, not to be saved, but because you are saved, because you are loved, uh, you love Him, I want you to know that there's forgiveness. There's freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this family. God, it's just 
it's uncomfortable to talk about this stuff, but at the same time, it's so freeing from the standpoint of, like, God, there's so much hold that is on your church of, like, sexual desires that are just from the pit of hell, God, but I just pray that you help us as a church to hold each other accountable to follow Christ in what we do. God, I pray against that, uh, that evil thought of that we can't be forgiven. Thank you for reminding us that we can be forgiven. God, I pray for people in this room right now who might be in unrepentant sexual sin or any kind of sin that they would repent today, that they would turn their heart fully to you. Can you have an attitude of repentance? Just right now, before God, say, I'm sorry, God. I turn back to you. It's that attitude of repentance, hearing the Holy Spirit, and you have felt him and heard him today, haven't you? That's not me, by the way. That's the Holy Spirit. It's because we were reading God's Word. Begin to live in the freedom God is offering through His Son Jesus as a Christian. Now remember I said church is for non-believers too. We don't want you to stay there. Here's what I want you to think about if you're a non-believer. There's this story of Jesus raising this guy, Lazarus, from the grave. It's his, actually his friend. He's been out of town. He comes back. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Like he's been in the ground for four days in a tomb. And Jesus raises him from the dead this way. He just goes, Lazarus, come forth. Listen to me. Listen close. If you are not a Christian, Jesus offers to pay for your sin. Not just that but to give you His goodness. It's called righteousness. And not because you're good enough. Lord knows you're not, and I'm not either. But Jesus is, because He's good. He offers to give you His righteousness and forgive you for all sin, all time, past, present, future. And how He does that is what you are experiencing right this minute. Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth in a very real way. That's the picture of God right now through Jesus. Jesus is calling you to come from spiritual death into spiritual life, to repent of your sin and to follow him. Will you respond? You do that by simply giving up. Just pray, just, just say this to God. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that at the bottom of my heart. And I believe you raised him from the dead. Listen to me, it's real. It's real. It's real. I based my whole life on it. I know it to be real. Believe on Jesus. That's what it means. If you've done that, your sins have been washed away. Your life now belongs to Jesus. So begin to follow him. You're not going to be very good at first. You've still got all the, the jacked up desires. But soon, as you grow a little bit in your faith, He's going to begin to replace those desires with something so much better. And baby, it's so much better than Hawaii. It's so much better than the fake world that the world has offered you. So say, thank you for forgiving me. You can have my life, Jesus. I want to follow you. And end your prayer like this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as, as we sing together one more song? Sing this song if you love Jesus. Jesus.